New Ephotic Realm announcement. Uh, submission windows for upcoming issues. Issue 10, the theme is justice. That's hard-boiled fiction with a supernatural twist. The deadline for that will be April 1st, 2020. Issue 11, the theme is kaiju. Giant monsters terrorizing civilization. Deadline will be October 1st, 2020 for those stories. Issue 12, the theme is lycanthropy, which is, of course, self-explanatory. Um, it can be any type of animorph with a bloody twist. Uh, so I guess that's werewolves and Jesus, giant, I don't know. What do people turn into? Seals? I've just got a little seal on my desk, so I thought of that. I don't know. You have to be more imaginative than I just was. Uh, but the deadline for lycanthropy, January 1st, 2021. Good luck to everyone submitting. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo Our guest this episode is Karen Runga, author most recently of the novel Doll Crimes, out now with Crystal Lake Publishing. Uh, that's what we mostly talk about. Uh, we talk about human nature, manipulation, trauma, uh, lots of heavy material, but Karen was super insightful about it. It was a very interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So you're in Johannesburg, is that where you're from originally? Um, no, I'm actually in Hawick. I'm in uh, KwaZulu-Natal, um, different province of South Africa. It's more in a, a mist belt, um, and we call it the Midlands. It looks a lot more like the English countryside than anything you'd equate with South Africa in your mind. Um, and I'm from the Midlands. I'm not from the town that I'm living in now, but I did grow up in the Midlands. So, yeah, uh, uh, okay. I was in Johannesburg for about two years. Right, okay, got it, sure. Um, so you've, you've moved around South Africa in your life? Yeah. Yeah. I've moved around South Africa. I've moved around the world, actually. Mm -hmm. I was actually born in, in France. I was born in Paris. Um, my dad was a diplomat, so we were kind of shunted around the world for a while playing spy games. <laughs> so after France, we lived in Central Africa for, I think, just under two years. And then we moved to South Africa when I was, I think, about four or five, very young still. Mm -hmm. And then even from within South Africa, we moved quite a few times, just around different provinces. Um, when I finished school at 18, I went straight to the UK. I stayed there for three years. Uh, then I came from back to South Africa quite briefly. Then I moved to China, and I was in China for seven years. And I only moved back to South Africa now in 2015, so four years back now. Hmm. What took you to China? China? Um, if, if I was an accident. 
as, as much as moving to a place like China can be an accident. Mm. Um, I was back from the UK and I was working a an incredibly boring and inspiring admin job. Mm-hmm. Um, like pulling teeth. Um, and then in the company, the, the boss said at one point, you know, we're getting a lot of Chinese clients, so it would be really great if uh, somebody would learn Chinese and the company will pay for the lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't put my hand up fast enough. You get an opportunity to learn another language. Why would you, why would you turn it down? Mm. Uh, so I was studying Chinese just for why not and became quite close with my tutor. And she was the one who kept saying to me, you know, you, you don't like it here. You know, your job, your job sucks. Your, your boyfriend's an asshole. <laughs> this isn't going well. Really, why don't you just go to China? And eventually I just took her advice and I did it. So, yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Is that typical of Chinese tutors that they tell you if your boyfriend is an asshole? She just really was an asshole. <laughs> tell her these stories and she'd be like good god please do something better with your life um i think she was absolutely right it was a really great decision um you know it's china changes quickly and i haven't been there in a while and you know it's quite sad to hear all the stuff that's going on now but Mm. the time that i was there was was honestly brilliant it was a fantastic fantastic place when i was there this is just it's brought up a question that I think is relevant even to this book that you've written that you have this uh tutor who gave you great advice have you found it typical like in life that there are do you come across random people who are supportive and encouraging yeah yeah definitely I think I think it's a it's a luck thing definitely I mean most people that you meet in life are kind of just going to come and go um but in the mix there you you do there's always someone around the corner who's going to influence you in, in a, a really positive way or um, point your nose in, in a, a new direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that recurs. So no matter how bleak the situation is in the moment, you know, there's, there's usually something coming soon if you'll just hang on there. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, yeah. But much like much like you, I think life kind of you have these pockets of experience where everything's kind of banal and nothing really seems to be happening, and you're like, "Am I even part of what's going on?" And then suddenly you get these fortuitous yeah. little uh, changes. Yeah. It's interesting that all the like all the times that you think you're treading water and you think you're not going anywhere, there's actually all these little changes that are going on in the background, and um, you know the, the smallest thing can lead to something completely unexpected. So even when you are bored and stuck in the vanilla and not really knowing what the hell is going on, there's usually a bigger picture. It's just, just hidden from your view, you know? Hmm. It's really interesting. I definitely agree. Tell me about this novel then. What is going on in the world of this novel? Because it seems like that lesson, which I agree with, is kind of hidden. Is it relevant in the world of, of doll crimes? It is. It is and it isn't. Um... From that perspective, I think uh, Doll Crimes is is looking at that from a, a less optimistic kind of viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, for all the people that you meet and run into are going to influence you in very good, positive ways. There are also a lot of people around that you're going to bump into who could be leading you into some, some pretty dark or dangerous stuff. And you don't necessarily recognize it as that until it's too late. Mm. Um, that's kind of one of the themes in doll crimes is the, the influence of, of other people, you know, just as, just as there's a kind of wonderful synchronicity that happens when something really good happens. I think the same thing applies to when really bad things happen. Mm. Um, you know, just, just somehow in the, the workings of life in the universe, it's all these different factors will come into play, uh, like a, like a perfect storm almost. Um, and, and turn everything completely upside down, you know, just as much as that can be true for the good things. Um, it's just as true for terrible things, I think. I don't, I don't know if, if that specifically is, is really a, a strong theme, but it's definitely an underpinning thing. Um, one of the lines from the book is, it'd be great if I could remember how to quote my own book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where she says, it's not that there aren't good people in the world, it's just that the bad ones are so much easier to find um, because that's the reality of that protagonist. Um, and in the book, the good people who do come along, they, they are often pushed out of the way too quickly if circumstances aren't there for help. All the opportunities for help, small though they are, are never given enough power to, to kind of stop the, the trajectory of, of all these events in the book. Hmm. Well, also, I think what is huge is that the the protagonist's expectations of life are so shaped by this mother character, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, to that end, um, when I first started writing Doll Crimes, I didn't necessarily know right in the beginning what I wanted to say. Um, I don't really plot books, I just start writing and then after a short time usually I'll, I'll kind of clock into where this is going um, and then I'll follow it through. And one of the things that I started thinking about early on in the book is this idea of, you know, especially with children, where you're, you're so vulnerable to the world your parents put you in mm -hmm. and the things they tell you, um, you, you, you don't you don't really know how to see the truth around that. You're just going to accept what they say. Mm -hmm. parents are your, your parents are your gods when you're very little. So imagine if you've been raised in um, some kind of building without windows or doors and you've never seen the sky. But your mm -hmm. life is otherwise as you know it. Um, you're fed, everything like that. Underneath that, would you, have a, would you have a sense that something was missing? You know, would you... You've never seen the sky. Would you know that? Would you know that there's something wrong? How would you know that? And I don't. I don't think we really have an answer for that. But it's it's something I tried to explore. This kind of sort of being kept in this kind of incub incubator, mm -hmm. if you will, um, where what is normal and real for other people is completely denied. This character, she she really isn't any the wiser. And even as she's getting older, she's starting to sort of sense more the emotional impact of what's been going on. Mm -hmm. And that's the closest thing she gets to starting to wonder about, um, is this reality she's living in good? 
um, is any of this actually good? And she, she starts to become gradually more suspicious of her mother. Um, yeah, as she's in her teens and at that age where you start seeking independence and when you reach that age, that's when you start questioning your parents. So what do you do if it's this, this really horrendous situation where you've been really manipulated in, in terrible ways? You know, what, what kind of impact would that have on you? How would you react to that? And, all the, and the, the loss of security that that would entail. Hmm. Yeah. What I thought was really clever in the book, I think, is how this mother character is established. Because at first she just starts like spitting out what sound like a whole bunch of red flags to me. Um, the the I the I the like I know you know to recognize as an adult when you hear certain things like what does she say? She says to her daughter, "I didn't have a reason to live before you," which yeah. if you're a little girl, you're like, "Oh, that's so sweet," you know, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what I think it's she says also, "I was a grown up way before I was supposed to be." Um. And I think that uh, I know even adults now who think that that's a good thing. You know, it's like a, you, you should know the way the world is as soon as possible. And I totally disagree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, well, the other question there is what world? I mean, what world are we talking about? Mm. Um, how is this different to children who are raised in cults? Um, you know, in these isolated communities where this crazy stuff is happening. Um, it's the same, same sort of issue. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um. But then you, you know, it's you. It doesn't just stop there. It's not like, oh, you know, but this mother, like she, she obviously, is manipulating her daughter. End of story. Because I think that even within the same chapter, I came to admire her self reliance. She says something about um, if like if you get a man to fix your tire, then you you watch how he's doing it, so you never need to ask him again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is this is the, the the tricky part in writing this book is um, I, I don't know how clearly it came across. I guess I'm going to figure out as the book's released and we we see the reviews and stuff. Is it's not that the mother doesn't love her daughter, and it's not that she isn't in her own way trying to empower her. It's just all completely screwed up and backwards. Um, I mean, the the mother herself, she had her as a teenager. Her own life was chaos. You know, what can she really hand down to her daughter in terms of becoming self-reliant and resilient and able to navigate the world? Um, so in a way, the daughter is, is helpless but to inherit her mother's own screwed up worldviews and things like that. Now, nothing is ever completely bad. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in learning how to do things. There's nothing wrong with asking, but don't ask 20 times. <laughs> Pay attention. That's, that's one of my own philosophies um, handed in there, which I think is a valuable one. Um, it's just that in between all of these, these quite nice things, it's all wrapped around something that's completely heinous and unacceptable. And the question that you have to ask there is, is how aware is the mother herself of the impact of what she's doing? Mm -hmm. I mean, she must have some awareness. So how much of that is stuff that she's willing to look at or stuff that she just wants to deny in her own mind um, by 
telling yourself, yes, my, my daughter is my world, my life, and, and all these things. It's a kind of self-delusion, I suppose, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's you. It is kind of unknowable, and I think you've done the, the great thing here of just presenting the situation for the reader to, to, to take from it. Because, like I say, at first I thought, oh, this mother character's trouble, like she's so easy to condemn. Until you see that she is resilient, and until you understand that she is, passing on life lessons as she sees life, um, which is what you would want, which is what mothers should do, um you know and then she's a complex character in that respect it's it's not easy and um it's you know but even like growing up when i hear when i would hear friends say oh you know my mother's more like a best friend than a mother i would be like uh oh you know you can get a best friend anywhere you've got one mum she should be a mum you know yeah yeah it's a bit unhealthy it, I, I, I agree with you. It, it also sounds like a bit of a red flag to me too when people talk like that. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret here. Um, when I first started writing Doll Crimes, it was actually intended to be a kind of, in part inspired by the TV show Gilmore Girls. I don't know if you ever watched that. Uh, my sister's a big yeah. fan. I know of it, yeah. Okay. It was a bit of a guilty pleasure for me because usually I don't watch cute stuff. I find it incredibly insincere, so um, <laughs> stay away from shows like that. But for some reason, I, I loved that show and, and I watched it and I'd binge watch it. And then I'd be on episode three, you know, watching for ages in. And then I get kind of itchy about it because it, it also concerns a teen mother who's raising her daughter her own way to the best of her ability. But it's all just so so cute and so twee and so lovely and then um in my morbid imagination i was thinking well this is a very nice take but what if it goes the other way you know what if the teen mom isn't this responsible resilient clear-thinking person who's um you know raising her kid in in in, in a really healthy way Mm -hmm. what happens if it's topsy-turvy I mean a lot of teen mothers really really struggle Gilmore Girls is a kind of idealization I mean it's lovely for that but it is a, a bit of an idealization of that that specific dynamic and I wanted to kind of just see what happened if you flip it on its head um, push it the other way um, you know what what happens when a 15 year old girl is on alone in the world with her baby it could be an incredible success story a really one of those really beautiful, touching stories you hear, or it could be an absolute shit show. Mm -hmm. Anything goes. So Doll Crimes was, was yeah, was, was kind of looking at that and trying to, to sort of switch the emotional tones around on, on something that um, is already not something people talk about very often, mm -hmm. you know, but is still very much in the world. So I wanted to just explore that, I think. And, and look at those specific dynamics and yeah I mean what the hell is going to happen that, that was my question if, if I would have completely turned Gilmore Girls into a, a trauma fright fest you know mm -hmm. what would it look like and um, yeah Doll Crimes Doll Crimes was born so yeah interesting I have a relevant question then like I, I went to a, I went to a book club recently and 
we read uh, The Orphan Master's Son by Adam Johnson. I don't know if you know it. No, I don't. It's uh, it's about uh, like a young man who's raised in North Korea and the kind of things that he, he does for the regime there. And one of the questions they asked was, uh, do you think that he's a hero? Because, I mean, certain in certain occasions he tries to save people and so on, and it doesn't always go well because, you know, almost nothing goes well in North Korea, of course. Like, it's... Uh, I said of that book that um i don't really know what heroism means in a world that that that's that corrupt where good behavior isn't rewarded properly and nobody really yeah exactly that good behavior isn't rewarded properly in a place that's so corrupt and so my question in relation to this novel is what what do you think of female solidarity is that possible because nothing is really solid in a sense you need to be able to trust people and understand that they're not they're not manipulating you, right? And it doesn't seem that that's really possible in the in the environment of this book. No, um, but but also if you think about it, just in general, you know, uh, trusting somebody is is already a, a massive leap of faith, mm. and it, it's it's always interesting to me that uh, you know it's it's morbid as hell. But if you think of all the people who who say they care about you and say they'll always be there for you and say they would do anything to protect you. How many of them really mean it? You know, a, a lot of people say things because it's the right thing to say. Mm. So it's, it's the thing to say that will get the best reaction from others so that they can be perceived as being a hero. You know, this is all about perception. When in actual fact, the amount of people, the number of people who, who really do mean that and, and really would and really do are, are pretty far and um, you know, a few and far between. They're pretty thin on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be a hero, to be someone who steps up and defends and protects and stands with people who need it is, is a lovely idea. And, and there are people like that in the world, but unfortunately, that's not most of us. Um, if you look at any kind of atrocity, just, just dig a bit deeper, there'll be a whole bunch of people who just look the other way. Mm. Um, and then we'll later on say, oh, what a terrible thing, you know, and then they're saying the right things. But when they had any access or opportunity to, to intervene, very few actually will, you know. So it's a sincerity issue, I think. And, and that's the leap of faith with, with people, with trust. You, you just never really know when people talk to you what they mean and what they don't. And you know, the heroics, heroics like that, I think, are... You know, but not as common as, as we would like to believe. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that um, in most kind of normal lives, you've got like regular life and then you've got emergency alarm mode life when some sort of crisis comes along. Um, and yeah. if you trust people in normal life, you don't actually know how they're going to react in emergency alarm mode life. And I don't think they do either. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is this is the whole thing when when people start their sentences with "I would never" or "I would," you know, if, if we're using speculative tenses here and talking about situations that don't actually exist, um, like if some just simple example, if someone says, "I would never kill someone," you know, we'd like to believe that of ourselves, and and hopefully it's true. But um, the fact of the matter is, you you don't know. You don't actually know that until mm. you're in that specific situation. Um, 
So there's something at its heart that's already pretty insincere when, when people say stuff like, when they predict their own behaviors. Because when things like this happen and things go wrong, there's, there's usually so many other influencing factors around it that would definitely affect the way you view it and would definitely affect the way you react. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you don't know. So um, I wish I could remember their name, but... A few years ago, I watched a, a movie. I think it, I think it was Swedish. I, I don't remember. And it was it wasn't an English language film, but it was about this happy family who go to the ski resort for a holiday, mm-hmm. and it's lovely, you know, wonderful. They got two kids. Everything's great, and and then they're sitting outside having breakfast at this resort, and it's it's like on an outdoor deck, mm-hmm. right close to the mountain. And there's a sudden unexpected landslide, like the snow just comes piling off the side of the hill and it just engulfs this entire veranda. Mm-hmm. Now, super scary in that position. And the husband, as soon as he sees the snow, he jumps up and he runs away and he leaves his wife and his kids. He doesn't check on them. He doesn't stop. He just saves his own skin and runs off. Mm-hmm. Um, completely shattering this idea of this this lovely, happy, stable relationship, and I think that's one of those examples. You know, when you he said his vows, he would have promised to to love and protect and care for his family, his wife, and all that. But mm-hmm. hey, in that moment, in that moment, his reaction was the complete opposite, and just the absolute chaos and devastation that ensues when you realize that someone who you fully expected to, to sacrifice themselves even for the sake of you, your children, or whatever, um, wouldn't, isn't that person. And now you've got the proof of it, and what do you do with that? You know, I, I find that theme very, very interesting as well. Hmm. I, I loved it. I, was, I, was, I just thought what it was talking about psychologically in, in terms of society and how we present and what we actually do, I just found it fascinating. So, <laughs> kicking myself that I can't remember the name. Um, yeah, I saw it a good few years ago, though, so, yeah. What's, um, I, I mean, I, I do know there is a purpose, and I have my own answer, but what is the purpose of examining this material to you? Uh, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, wow, that's a really great, really deep question. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, I just think... Um, just for me personally, I've always been very interested in, in uh, sincerity, and um, I think when I was when I was quite young, I, I don't I can't really put my finger on it, but I but I always had this kind of question um, about about trust. I don't know if I picked up something from a past life or whatever, but um, I'll, I'll give you a dumb example. When I was really little. My brother was going to big school, you know, and my older brother and I was, I was a few years behind. And we went to go and pick him up from school the one day. And I mean, I'm tiny, I'm like five or six or something. And I'll never forget this, meeting this class teacher. And she looked at me and she introduced herself. And I was, I was a really shy kid, so I'm hiding behind my mom. I shake her hand. And then she leaned forward and she says, and you're going to big school next year with this big smile. Mm-hmm. And I recoiled as a kid. I don't know. I could just feel that she she didn't mean anything. Um, it was this this parody show of excitement and joy for me, 
and I just saw straight through it, this big smile. Um, and even as a kid, I, when I was thinking, without the profanity, I was thinking, she doesn't really give a shit. Why is she smiling at me like this? Why is she? And I just sensed it. I just picked it up. Um, and I'm, I'm always very interested in understanding the difference between what people say they are and what they actually are. Um, I mean, we're so complex. Human beings are incredibly complex. Um, the, the worst person is capable of beautiful things and, and vice versa. Um, so if you look at any one individual, there's just so much to unpick. Mm -hmm. And when you get closer to people and you understand them better, you know, I think that's what genuinely loving someone is or caring about someone or respecting them is, is, is understanding that they're not perfect. Um, but, but tuning into the sincere parts of them versus what they're presenting. Um, yeah, I think that's, that idea has just always been very interesting to me. I've always been trying to, to figure out. And I think in all my, my stories and my books, I'm in some way accessing this, you know, the veneer versus what's actually happening behind closed doors because they are never the same thing. You know, good, bad, and in between. They're never going to be a perfect match. And I, I don't know, I just find that really interesting. So I'm constantly analyzing it from every possible angle, you know, for better or worse. It's, it's just something that I, yeah, something that I, I find really, really interesting. Hmm. Well, I mean, my own answer to this, or like my own experience reading this novel, was that, um, you just get this feeling of dread reading it. It's just, I don't know, part part of you just thinks, oh my God, it's so horrible that this happens to people. And then there's another part that kicks in and says, well, that's obviously very naive. This happens to so many people over and over and over again. And it's happening right now as you read this book to real people, um, which does lead to compassion, I think, uh, to to a desire to understand other people better and to maybe do something about it if you can. Um, not that not that art has a responsibility to make this happen, but that's how it felt to me. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that, really, because that's that's honestly a, a very, very big thing with me, something that I, I um, care about quite deeply um, is empathy, you know, understanding empathy. And it's difficult to be empathetic about crazy situations that you won't look at. And if, if you don't want to look at it, how are you ever going to understand it? How are you ever going to know? Um, and, and doll crimes is, you know, very serious subject matter. And I, I really did my best to treat it with the absolute respect and honesty that it deserves because this stuff actually does happen in the real world um, with devastating consequences. And yet people are not comfortable talking about it. And I completely understand that, you know, there is a, there's a time and a place. But I think being ignorant of it is, is really damaging. It, it, it makes it easier for these things to carry on if you're not willing to look at them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's even more so because, I mean, horror can be, uh, can, can use a series of masks. You know, you can use monsters, you can use this, you can use that. But with trauma and psych horror, you're going, you're going straight into the reality of the thing. It's a work of fiction, but everything in there is applicable to the real world, is actively happening in the real world. So, um, you know, it should have that power. I think it should have that power. Yeah. Mm. I mean, um, 
Yeah, I think like the process of the process of growing up, like you say, trusting anyone is a risk. Yes, that's true, but you can't you can't relax unless you're around people that you trust. You have to do it. You're gonna have to find people that you trust, and they may let you down, but you're not going to. You'll just suffocate unless you do it, right? Um, but you know, it's a it's it's a naive type of trust that just trusts because you have to do it because you want to do it, rather than understanding that people can really screw one another over. But you also cannot survive going through life thinking that the only people who are kind are manipulating you. And, you know, but but like you say, if you grew up without seeing the sky, you would just be like, well, I, I think that's just a painting on the wall or that's not for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it, it gets pretty complicated. The, the thing... <clears throat> the thing that can be our undoing for these situations is the fact that human beings are social animals. We do need each other. Um, if we don't have meaningful relationships and, and solid contact with other people and people that we do trust and take that leap of faith in, in, in trusting, if we don't have that. We suffer deeply. Um, we, we need that. We need interaction <clears throat> as, as social animals. It's just, it's just part of what it is. So you've got to run the risks. You just have to run the risks. And um, in this book, Doll Crimes, obviously just <clears throat> excuse me, took that to the took that to a pretty far extreme of um, you know someone who isn't a bad person themselves, but is just not catching a break with this, and is and is actively being put in an environment where they they access to people who would be well intentioned, genuinely are. Um, much fewer, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and what happens with that? And I think in the book, I hope, I hope <laughs> that that's kind of clear. That that no matter how much she keeps telling herself she loves her mother and they're close and everything's fine, inside she's screaming. She they, she does have this awareness of, of something being very very wrong. She just doesn't know what it is because how would she? How could she? I mean, the world she's in is the only one she's known. So. Yeah, something, <clears throat> something pulling along those lines, um, which I think maybe is, is part of the dread that you're, you're referring to, maybe? Yeah, yeah I, I think also it's how relatable it is as well. I mean, it's clever to have put it in, to put readers in the mind of a child because we all grew up thinking our mothers w- were the best mothers in the world without without even questioning how biased that would be, you know? Yeah, yeah. and the other thing to bear in mind while, while everyone gets the um, happy about you know the, the power and beauty of family bonds and we love that narrative and it, and it is true but don't forget the other side of the coin you know most kids that are abused in in whatever way um it's the parents it's the parents that are doing it um not always but very very often it's the parents that are either doing it themselves or they're looking the other way you know this idea that your parents should love and protect you thank god many do but you know, read a newspaper. Not all of them do, um, and and that's that's the real tragedy of it. Is is kids stuck in situations like this where, you know, they they love their parents and are in their own way becoming sort of willfully blind to the damage that's being done. At least when they're younger. At least when they're younger. You know, doll crimes at least picks up when she's at that age where she's she's naturally starting to question things. I mean, any kid of that age starts. Starts questioning things. It's just that the things she has to question 
are a, a lot more severe and a lot more a lot heavier than, than what the average kid would have to look at and deal with. Mm, which is a much worse starting point than other people. Yeah, but the but there are kids that are born into this kind of thing. Um, I mean, obviously, I had to do quite a bit of research on this book, and um, that was far from easy. Um, I was specifically reading up a lot on on criminal cases and stuff where this kind of thing has happened, where where parents have exploited their children for their own gain, um, with with no real concern for the the long term damage that is, is being done to the kid. Um, pretty difficult stuff to look into but the, the more I looked into it the more I realized my god you know this whole happy family thing um you know it, 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 that is the reason why a kid who's been abused the kid next door who's being abused none of them are the neighbors call for help it's exactly for that reason oh but you know it's just this it's difficult times um and they'll they'll pick and choose what they see you know they'll they'll see the the parents playing with the kids in the park and go, oh, okay, so I guess it's just, you know, they've been going through a rough time, but look, they're all, people look for excuses to look away. And, and this is this is how this stuff is allowed to continue for years and years on end sometimes before anybody intervenes. And and that's that's the real tragedy in this. It, it honestly is. Um, you know, and in the book with the, the people that this girl encounters, she does encounter good people. She does. It's just never... I tried to be fair in my book, you know, mm. the people that the mother brings her to, um, I made a point of, of making at least one case where, uh, two cases, I think, where um, the the men involved were concerned or um, were kind or walked away, you know. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, there were just too few of them. And so whatever sort of insights of what, what acceptance and love and safety really is that could have been offered to this protagonist where it, it wasn't around long enough to have any effect on her. Mm. Aside from maybe just wondering, you know, I, I don't feel good. I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And, and that being a bit of a dilemma for her because mommy says, you know, um, well, what do you do? What, what on earth do you do as a kid? Yeah. It definitely added to the realism it would have been unrealistic if it was just completely yeah trauma everywhere um yeah no 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 because because uh life is much more much more complex than, than that people are much more complex than that and again you know i did try at least in the beginning to to sort of show that the mother does love her kid it's not that she doesn't love her kid i mean she's not all the way a monster it's just that the way she's chosen to go about things is so evil you know and in between there um she's i don't i don't know if she, she's really feeling remorse or anything because the book isn't told so much from her perspective it's all her daughter's perceptions of things but i tried to sort of inject a few times that the mother herself is is in her own kind of crisis about this kind of thing and and in denial largely herself about what it is she that she's doing mm. yeah that, that I, I got that sense very early on because the the characterization of the mother is introduced very early and i thought no i'm not being given an easy time of it here i'm not so easily able to condemn this woman outright uh it's she's because it's so obvious that from her perspective why she thinks the way she does and why she does things the way that she does as well um yeah 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think also like the you really feel this sense of desperation and control as well. It's like bam, 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 just constantly just giving the way she thinks about things over and over. Like you've got to think this way about it because of this, 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 this. Because it's kind of to have a, to have a worldview in which the world is against you, like it's dog eat dog. It's incredibly fragile because it's not true. So you have to like. And the kind of people who hold those worldviews, they are very desperate and they have this like extra energy in order to introduce it to other people because they, they're because of that desperation somehow. It was it was, you know, in order to in order to have somebody think that way, you have to be around them all the time and introduce these thoughts to them constantly, because if they start to think for themselves, they will see evidence that that's not the way the world has to be, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially, it's brainwashing. Like that's mm. that's really what it is. Yeah, it's systematic brainwashing over a long period of time, um, and you know, even I think we've all known people in our lives that were very manipulative. Like someone you were close to was quite manipulative with you, and even if that's not you know to the max destructive or something, just just when someone's manipulating your emotions enough to make you go along with certain things or assist them in certain ways um you know we that's something that we've all experienced at some point i think and this is this is that with a magnifying glass on it just just blow it out mm. much much bigger than than the, than what we what we would understand in, in normal normal society because all of this is normal this is stuff that happens um yeah and and how difficult it can be to to shake loose from that you know if you've got a a friend or a family member or a, a partner who's who's manipulating you in some way can take quite a while before you you shake your head and go wait hang on hang on and it's like waking up from a dream when you when you realize what what's been done to you it, it's a process it's a long process and even when you realize that someone's been manipulating you you're still not necessarily gonna gonna jump ship immediately um you're just on the road to to getting out of it but once you realize on a shit this isn't this isn't very good that's just the beginning of the process of extricating yourself from the situation because because of the emotional bonds that have been put in place through this process mm. um, it can be quite difficult to wake up you know and, and that's even just on a smaller scale so imagine if it's your whole life from infancy um how much harder that is yeah you're going to have to believe that something is possible that you've never seen evidence of being possible in order to heal. You're going to have to believe in a world that you've never seen before. Yeah, right. And, and how do you do that? How mm. on earth do you do that? I mean, it's, it's a kind of um, mental shock that you have to go into, um, which can take a while to sort out. And, um, you know, not wanting to give the, the ending of the book away, but the, the ending of the book is, is concerned with that, you know, that sort of adjustment and, and how you're still vulnerable, even in those stages, and you're still—it's very easy to to prey on someone who, who doesn't really know what's going on. Um, they haven't seen the full deck of cards; they're only playing with a few. So, um, what a nightmare, and and what a process that would be to sort of sort it out in your mind. Given that, yeah, as you say, we're talking about things that you you've never even conceived of before and now they're being presented to you I mean, how are you going to interpret that and how are you going to react to that 
Mm-hmm. I think it gets it gets emotionally and, and mentally, psychologically quite complicated. Hmm. I have a <laughs> I have a small example of one time that somebody tried to manipulate me that really it really disturbed me, but it was reasonably innocuous because uh, it was a friend of a friend was coming to stay where I was living at the time, and she arrived at the door with this suitcase, and she said, "You look like a strong man. Could you carry this up the stairs for me?" And I thought like. I would, I was like, I would have done it anyway. If I had cared about be, if I'd cared about looking like a strong man, I wouldn't have noticed, right? Because I would have been like, oh, great. Like, she's confirming what I want, you know, but I didn't really care about looking strong or not. And I definitely didn't. So I was like, okay, she obviously doesn't think I look strong. She's learned that if you say this to most men, they'll carry a suitcase up the stairs. I would have done it anyway. Now I don't really want to do it because I'm being told to do it. Also, it's not even that many stairs. Why is she asking me to do this, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, it's so. I met her. I met her one time, like must have been ten years ago, and and it just clicked in my head. I was like, that's so disturbing. <laughs> yeah, manipulation through flattery. It, it usually works on men, though. So good on you for seeing through. <laughs> oh well, I mean, I, I I was I was just uh I was lucky, right? I imagine she picked something I did care about. Um. And I would then I would have wanted, but then I'm sure that must that must have happened. Imagine people do know me a little bit better and do know what I care about and do tell me these things because they want things from me. I might not notice as easily. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is you know what we call sweet talking. Mm. Sweet talk your way into something. Um, you know, not not everyone has a nose for that. Not everyone sees through it. Um, a lot of people do mistake it for sincerity just because they're so happy to have someone say something nice to them. Mm. They, they don't go much further. I mean, further to that, I mean, how many women stuck in, in marriages they didn't want to be in have manipulated some poor, poor lonely dude drinking down at the barn, manipulated him into to killing her husband for her. I mean, this kind of thing happens a lot. I mean, and that's just a... Um, a, a more extreme case of the same thing, I think. Yeah, like you're special, you can be my savior, but they don't really care who does it because of the no, desperation. They're, they're yeah, bad. they just want the end result. They just want the end result. Um, and if, if you're an easy target for that, well, I'm afraid you're in trouble. You know, <laughs> it's, just gonna happen. Mm. it's really important to keep your eyes open and, and have a few questions with, about this kind of thing, about the things people say to you and why. You know, it's, it's it's often very nice and innocent, but but sometimes it's not, and and yeah, I think it's I think it's good to be aware of that. Mm. Have you read the book uh, "The Gift of Fear"? Um, rings a vague bell. Who's it by? It's a uh, Gavin De Becker is the guy's name. He's uh, I think like an American security specialist or something. So he's he documents manipulative behavior a lot. Um, the book is all about I think that essentially how to uh spot people i haven't that sounds like exactly something i would love to read though well i i i definitely think you would at some uh there was a line in it something about like when someone is charming you tell yourself i am being charmed and then once you've told yourself that ask why um and I was like, oh my ask god. Mine, yeah. ask, do you mind? The next question is, do you mind? You know, you can go along with it if you actually are okay with it. 
Hey, that's a good point. Am I, am I being charmed or do I care? <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. Um, yeah, when is this book out? Um, it'll be out in early November. Um, I've got a terrible memory for numbers for some reason. I'm not going to look dyslexic seriously, but it's straight out of my head. <laughs> um, it's either the 8th or the 9th that we're doing the launch. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just busy liaising right now with um, Joe Meinhardt, the, um, the, the chief editor at uh, Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. We're just now final- finalizing everything. We've just finalized the cover art. We still need to do the final sweep through the proofs. So we're right at the end of this process. So, yeah, about the 8th or the 9th. Oh, okay, well, it was a real privilege to get to read it so early. I really appreciate you getting in touch and sending it my way. Well, thank you for reading it, and, and thank you. This is the first interview I've done so far, so obviously as an author, there's a lot of apprehension because you, you don't really know what you've got until other people tell you. I mean, even if the publishers say, yeah, it's great, no, we love it, and we, we want to publish it, um, <clears throat> you still never really know what kind of reaction you're going to get. So hmm. um, it's really nice to hear that, that it at least um, seems seems you understood what I was trying to do with the book. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm still walking blind here. I have no idea. So I really, really appreciate that deeply. Well, I'm a... Who am I? I'm a random Scottish guy living in Norway. If I can understand it, I think that's a very good sign. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Make it, make it accessible across across all, all aspects and areas. Yeah, absolutely. Doll Crimes is out now with Crystal Lake Publishing. I do hope you'll check it out. It's a fascinating, uh, incredibly dark, but very well-written book. If you are a reader, writer, editor, artist of any kind of a variety, you want to be on the show, you're a listener, you just want to say hi, you want to reach out for any reason, you can always get in touch with me using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, But that's all from me for this episode. So until next time, bye bye.